Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where you will learn how to get rested, solid sleep for health and well-being with my first guest, Dr. Seema Khalsa. She is medical director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep. She is a fellow of the College of Chest Physicians, as well as the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Dr. Khalsa also serves as medical advisor for MedBridge Healthcare and is the host of the AASM podcast, Talking Sleep. Dr. Seema Kosla is in the house. Hi. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on the show. I I love talking about sleep because as I shared with you, I just finished about a book about the relationship between sleep and well-being. But I'm interested in sort of the latest discoveries and observations that you have made as a sleep specialist in the age of COVID. Because a lot of us have been a lot sleepless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's actually been very interesting. We have seen really some changes from COVID. And so part of it, I think we have to split it up into, is it a change from being infected, right? Versus a, we are in lockdown and we are apprehensive. So yeah. we definitely see, right, this insomnia where we're worried about our loved ones and we're worried about finances and that sort of thing. Another thing that we are seeing, though, is that for our patients that have, have been infected with COVID-19 and have had pneumonia or have had, you know, disease, we are actually seeing more sleep apnea. Yes, I, I can actually know that's true because my dad is a long hauler and he got diagnosed for sleep apnea in his recovery period. We are learning so much more about it. And so, you know, previously... We would have a list of, you know, if they have A, B, C, and D, we really should look for obstructive sleep apnea. But now we're seeing that that phenotype is shifting. And so if you have somebody that maybe doesn't meet any of those criteria, you know, isn't obese, isn't, you know, we usually think of it in men, but it's very common in women, very underdiagnosed in women, that maybe we do need to be a little bit more suspicious if we have somebody that says, hey, I'm waking up a lot at night, I'm choking. Um, even if they have a normal BMI, they're young, they have nothing else that makes you think of it, you know, in terms of risk factors, we just pay attention to, oh, hey, you had COVID. And yeah, we're seeing a change in your sleep after that. You know, some people are even getting this really, really significant fatigue and sleepiness from COVID. <laughs> Practically narcoleptic, my dad has become. <laughs> has he? Oh, you poor dad. 
Is he on treatment? He is. He's, he's much better now, but for Go a ahead. while it was like a poor guy, you know, he'd be like mid sentence and he'd be, he'd be out. <laughs> oh, poor thing. You know, and I think that's one of the things, you know, I appreciate our colleagues in other fields, you know, they're creating these long COVID clinics, right? Where, where they follow people out yes. and these are led by our neurology colleagues and pulmonary and physical men and rehab. Um, and one of the things like we, we would like to offer that we, we would love to be part of this too, because we think that maybe if we can look for an underlying sleep thing that is amenable to treatment, maybe at least that is something that will be impactful for our patients. Well, I think about the relationship between having good sleep and good immunity. Right. So, Absolutely. you know, that that's where my head goes is like you have somebody who is either recovering from COVID, has recovered from COVID or is, you know, has not had COVID, but would like to prevent it. You know, <laughs> that learning sort of the ABCs of good sleep hygiene. And then once there is a diagnosis of whatever that treatment needs to be. And I would venture that even treatment might have changed a little bit as a result of COVID. He's sort of, yes, treatment, we've really had to be a little bit more creative with treatment because we've had supply chain issues in terms of um, obtaining the device, the CPAP device that we usually use to treat obstructive sleep apnea. Really? And so, yes. Didn't think <laughs> so, about that one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And then on top of that, we had this gigantic recall of CPAP devices in June. Ooh. And so, yeah, millions and millions of CPAPs have been recalled. And so that has put just this incredible strain on our resources. And so I think we are a lot more receptive to other treatment with, you know, a dental device or an implantable device or something like that, you know, to treat sleep apnea. So let's talk a little bit about bad sleep, you know, in, in addition to sleep apnea, because I think m most of us, certainly in the Western world, we're, we are sleep deprived. We're not getting enough sleep. And I don't know if you'd agree with that, but that's what the research seems to indicate. Well, you know, it's funny. We, we There's a lot of media attention on sleep apnea, but the number one reason why we are sleepy as a country is that we just don't get enough sleep. Yeah. Under underrested. <laughs> <laughs> and is that because we are overstimulated? We are overcommitted? We are stretched thin? We're in a state of constant anxiety or a combination of, of all of that? Oh, gosh, probably all of it, don't you think? I mean, and I think what we've seen, which, which was really interesting to me. So during the pandemic, with people being locked down, we had some people who finally caught up on their sleep. That would you know, be I, me. <laughs> I have a guy who would drive like 200 miles to work every day. And all of a sudden he got four hours of his life back because he was working remotely. Yeah. And so that was, you know, I'm, I'm a silver lining girl. <laughs> Me <laughs> so that too. Was lovely silver lining that now our patients that were chronically sleep deprived are all of a sudden doing better, you know, and, and we're allowing them to, to be more respectful of their circadian rhythm and maybe they want to stay up a little bit later and sleep in a little bit more and not necessarily be at their desk at eight o'clock in the morning. And so we're respecting that. This is where I think the new world of work, whether it's you're fully remote or you're a hybrid or whatever it is, there is a new respect for that work-life integration. It's no longer balance. It all has to kind of be woven in together. 
And by doing so, we have to be better with our self-discipline, right? Like how to draw boundaries between that work-life area every day. But also there is the opportunity to, to take that pause, if possible, in the middle of the day. And I think we've seen growth. You know, I think early in the pandemic, it was really hard to turn off work, right? Like you didn't yeah. have your 15, you know, your 20 minutes in the car to decompress. And, you know, it's so easy to just go down to your office and, and let me just shoot off a quick email, right? Um, and so I think it made us be a little bit more reflective on what is important and what am I going to prioritize? You know, I, I go into my office, you know, one day a week and see patients in person, but the rest I do remotely. And what I really do love is, you know, I can, I can put a little laundry in in the morning and I can go see a few patients and then I can put it <laughs> yes. in the dryer. It's just kind of, so it almost allows me to unburden some of the home work that I have to do by just sprinkling it through my day. So I've appreciated that part of it. And how has your sleep changed in the last two years, if at all? I've become a little bit more delayed, meaning staying up a little bit later and sleeping in a little bit more. So I've definitely noticed that, you know, my kids are now at the age where they are in middle school. And so I God don't have a kid <laughs> that is getting up, you know, needing to be at the bus stop at seven anymore. Now their bus comes at 830. And so as a result, our whole household has shifted so is everybody's getting it's delayed sleep, but would you say it's better sleep? You're getting a little more of it? I I think so. You know, for a lot of a lot of people though, they have a lot of angst and so their sleep's been more fragmented, or they are embracing this sort of COVID culture and binge watching, and then they're on their devices way too late. Yes. So there's not that that power down process, the mm -hmm. sort of the, the sleep foreplay. <laughs> Well, and it's so funny, right? We go 90 miles an hour and then we expect to just sort of turn everything off and go to bed and, and just fall asleep. And that's just not realistic. You know, they did a study on people who would use their iPads right before bed and they would bring them into the sleep lab. And what we saw is, you know, you see these, they're called arousals. So you look at their brainwaves <laughs> and it looks like they're trying to wake up, right? Do you know how long it took for that to go away when they stopped using their iPads? I don't. A week. Oh, really? So the detox yeah. was a week? Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to say a couple of hours, you know? No, no, it's it's unbelievable how disruptive that light is. So it's a combo, right? There's the blue light, it's stimulating, it's engaging. And, you know, it's really hard to put them down. It's hard to put down your device, right? That's, that's kind of the algorithm. <laughs> well, right. It's, it's designed to tickle the dopaminergic, uh, you know, response, right? Absolutely. Yikes. Yeah. Well, the bedroom, really, you're only supposed to be doing two things in there, right? Theoretically. Sleep and sex. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we're yeah. not doing enough sex. If we were doing more sex, we'd probably have more sleep. You know, it's it's actually <laughs> funny. This is such a recurring joke with uh, one of my friends that we, um, you know, is there data saying that sex before sleep helps you sleep better? You know, at least once a year, somebody will hit me up for a prescription, you know, so that <laughs> I can give it to their wife. <laughs> they must have sex before they go to bed, right? Because it helps with their sleep. And so this comes up all the time. You know, healthy sex life is, is an important part of your everyday life and your health. Stress release, it you know, relaxation response. But if you're not getting sleep and you're exhausted, right? You're, you're a new mom caring for kids. Let's say the last thing you want to do is party before bed. <laughs> you just want to go to sleep. <laughs> 
Well, and that's that's it. And then, you know, when your kids are older, you know, sometimes you'll have a little sleep disorder and we have this robust association with erectile dysfunction and sleep apnea. Ooh. And we don't <laughs> so have a guy oh, sorry. many, many, many years ago. So he was on, you know, he had his test and he was really grumpy right when I first met him and he had his test and fine, I need a CPAP. And, and he came back in for his follow up and he literally slammed his medication list on my desk. And he's like, I am off my antidepressant. I'm off my blood pressure meds. He's like, I'm even off my Viagra. He said, you guys need to do a better job telling people about this. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You probably do. Yeah. Oh my. All right. We're, we're almost out of time for this segment. I want to ask you one question about sleep and exercise. Yeah. Is exercise bad for sleep or good for sleep? It is wonderful for sleep. Thank there is you. maybe 3% of the population that if you exercise too late, it will keep you up. But if you're in that 3%, yes, don't exercise before bed. But for everyone else, yes, it's wonderful for sleep. So right before bed is the recommendation to have like a little cardio session kind of thing? No, 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 not right before bed. Anytime, unless you're within that 3% where it does bother you right before bed. So yes, an evening stroll is perfect. You know, running in the morning is perfect. Working out at, you know, seven o'clock at night, that's fine. As long as it doesn't ramp you up too much. Got it. Let's take that pause. We'll be right back and we will continue the conversation with my guest today, Dr. Seema Kosla. To learn more about Dr. Kosla and her work, please go to fargosleepdoc.com and medbridgehealthcare.com. You can find Dr. Seema Kosla on Twitter at sleepdoc5. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Just a second here. Before we pause, let's talk about how the new year brings fresh starts and a chance to better care for ourselves and our planet. If you've been wanting to make more sustainable choices for home care, beauty, and more, then you need Grove Collaborative for Earth-Friendly Cleaning Essentials. Grove carries hundreds of products that replace single-use plastics across your home and personal care routine. And by 2025, Grove will be 100% plastic-free. Grove Co.'s concentrated cleaners and refillable glass bottles are friendlier to the planet and twice as effective as other leading natural brands. Now's the time to switch to sustainable products for every room in your home. From laundry care to self-care, Grove Co. has got you covered with safe formulas and earth-friendly packaging that deliver a greener clean without compromising performance. For years, I've been a subscriber to Grove Collaborative for all my eco-friendly household needs. Right now, I'm savoring the delicious smell of Mrs. Meyer's lavender-scented laundry detergent that makes our clothes smell like a daily spa experience. Mm. Join me and more than 2 million households who trust Grove Collaborative to make their homes happier and healthier. Go to grove.com slash happiness today to get a free gift set worth up to $50 with your first order. Plus, shipping is fast and free. Get started right now at grove.com slash happiness. Grove.com slash happiness. Now let's take that pause. We'll be right back. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we're 
we're back. Wait just a little minute here. Before we get back to the conversation, I want to talk about my harmless obsession. As a regular listener of this show, you know how I love to amuse myself with Best Fiends, my favorite casual mobile game for grown-ups. In my humble and correct opinion, Best Fiends is the best action-packed, brain-boosting puzzle game on the planet. So you can stop crushing that same old candy and try a new experience with something fresh to offer. With Best Fiends, you actually play through an action-packed storyline, complete with good guys who are the fiends and not-so-good guys known as the slugs. Not to brag or anything, but I'm strategizing and blazing my way towards level 6,015 and counting. Best Fiends is my go-to digital play pal, and I'm happily hooked. And if you're anything like me, you will be too. The fun never ends at Best Fiends because there's always fresh content and new challenging adventures to conquer. Need a little digital distraction or some mindful mindlessness? Stress less and play more. Come join me in more than 100 million downloads for a mental pick-me-up. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Now let's get back to it. And we're back, continuing the conversation with Dr. Seema Kalsa. We're talking about getting rested, solid sleep for health and well-being. Let's return to the conversation. So Seema, at the end of the prior segment, we were talking about the the need to put away those devices that you were saying that the study done with uh, people who took iPads into the laboratory, it took them a week to detox from the stimulating effects of the device right before bed. And I would imagine that that extends to all digital devices, the TV, the phone, the computer, all of it, put it away, put it to bed. All of it. 30 to 60 minutes of a media fast is what we recommend. And, and it's funny because 10 years ago, we were asking people not to have TVs in their bedroom. And now what we're finding is the, the devices are so much more engaging and you're physically holding them closer to your eyes. So we're actually seeing more of this with these devices that we use all the time. There's a, so, you know, we're, we're always trying to figure out a good way to figure out when people are awake and asleep. And so there's this science now that has been developed that's very accurate. It's called tepigraphy. Do you know what that is? No. It is measuring when you touch your phone. And so it's the last thing you do before you go to bed. And it's the first thing you do in the morning. And so it seems to be a decent surrogate for sleep. Isn't that crazy? T- is tepigraphy or tepigraphy? Tapigraphy. Tap, oh, tapigraphy. Like tap, tap, tap. Yeah. I have not heard of that. It's, it's a thing. Just, it's amazing. I, and of course, I just, I'm so impressed by the people who figured that out. You know, you hear about it and it's very logical, but they have actually embraced that as part of these sleep apps. Oh, wow. So when they're calculating sleep data, like on the mm-hmm. smartphone, it's coming from how well, you're... This one app does it that way. I'm not sure about the other wow. one. But yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it really is kind of an indictment of our own behavior. Well, that we yeah. really are hooked. We are hooked on these things. We're hooked and we have no delayed gratification. We can't say to ourselves, <laughs> we're going to put that thing away <laughs> before dinner and not touch it till tomorrow yeah. morning. It's impossible. 
you know, I used to ask my kids when they were little, I'm like, you want one Oreo now or two Oreos later? Because I was really trying to instill this idea of delayed gratification. And, <laughs> and two of my three kids chose two Oreos later, but one was like, nope, I want my Oreo now. <laughs> wow. Well, that, that goes back to that with the old um, marshmallow experiments, right? Wasn't that uh, Don't Eat the Marshmallow where they were trying to document kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, I don't like marshmallows, though. So that that wouldn't have worked well for me. I'd be like, sure, I, I don't care how many marshmallows I get later. <laughs> I don't want any of them. That, yeah, that the one sitting next to me can have my marshmallows. <laughs> <laughs> so what to do if we can't sleep? All right, say we are staring at the ceiling, we've gone to bed, you know, and an hour later, it's still not happening. What do we do? You know, I think one of the things we need to do is, is extend grace to yourself. Be kind to yourself. You know, one of my colleagues had this great example of, you know, sitting at the table and kind of expecting yourself to get hungry that, you know, we just have to relax. And I know it sounds easier to just say, Oh, relax, close your eyes, go to bed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to really be thoughtful about it. You know, is there something that's bothering you? And is it is it worth scheduling some time in the afternoon to think about it and get it out of your head, right? Deep breathing, meditation. Um, you know, they used to talk about counting sheep. But what they've found is that that visualization is better. If you can visualize your happy place, that is better than doing something with numbers or words. It seems to allow you to fall asleep quicker. And then I think it's also important to really pay attention to your sleep environment, yeah. Is it serene, right? Is it cool? Is it quiet? We we want our bedroom to be, you know, somewhere that is conducive to sleep, right? Do you have the right mattress, right? Is your room too warm? You know, do you have a bed partner that snores? Do you have kids that wake <laughs> you up? <laughs> you know, it's all of these things. Do you have a light, you know, that's shining into your eyeballs at night? And so just to be mindful of it and, and take some time and really look at your sleep environment, right? Is this what I want it to be? And then to create a wind down routine where you're yeah. very intentional about it, yeah. right? You're not just going 90 miles an hour and then expecting your brain to turn off. You're preparing yourself for sleep, right? You start dimming the lights in the evening and maybe a warm bath or an herbal tea going into a cool room. So the quicker your body temperature falls, the quicker you fall asleep. Makes sense to me. Talk a little bit about the wave, you know, because we have a joke around here like 10, 11 o'clock comes. And for me, that wave comes on so strong. And if I don't take the wave, it might be another hour or two before I'm able oh, to go down. Before you get your second wind? Yeah. Or before I get that second wave of fatigue, you know, when the mm -hmm. Sandman crawls in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so our impetus to sleep is driven by two main factors, right? So one is your circadian rhythm. So when you're biologically programmed to wake up and to fall asleep, but the other is called sleep pressure. So sleep pressure builds from the minute that you wake up until you go to bed. So both of these peak at the same time to push you towards sleep. Oh, okay. But go to bed when the sun went down we would sleep for four hours, right? And then we would wake up and we would tend to our fire and we would visit the neighbors and then we would go back for what was called our second sleep. And so now with electricity, we've squished them into one nocturnal sleep period. And so sometimes people are able to fall asleep, but maybe not stay asleep. 
and then they get upset and frustrated, <laughs> then that is what kind of shoots you in the foot, right? Because it makes you stress. And so I, I, yeah. It does, right? If I can fall asleep right the second, I will get, you know, six hours of sleep. And then we tend to catastrophize about, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to function and my day's going to be wrecked. And we just, you know, kind of build it up. And, and sometimes what we need to do is do the complete opposite. You know, it'll be okay. <laughs> really be honest with ourselves that, okay, the last time I had trouble sleeping, was I a total disaster the next day or was I okay? Yeah. Right? Because eventually we will sleep. Right. Right. And, and you know what? Tomorrow is another chance to get it Right. We have to quit pressuring ourselves, right? Extend the grace that you extend other people. Extend it to yourself. Give and yourself a break. I think this is new. You know, this this approach towards sleep hygiene and, and therapy for sleep, there's been a shift, right? Rather than working so hard on getting it right, you know, to be able to be graceful with the process and understand that each day there's an opportunity to, to do it a little bit better, or do it differently. Um, I mean, there is no such, such thing as catch-up sleep, right? We're never going to get it back. You have, you know, you do build up a sleep debt. And so, you know, usually we'll pay it back over the weekend. It's never as good as if you had just gotten enough sleep to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And so the challenge is that we are terrible about trying to figure out if we are sleep deprived or not. You know, it's easy if you're up all night. Sure, that's easy. Kid cried. Yep, that's easy if you get four hours, right? But if you're chronically getting six, six and a half hours, you kind of feel like it's okay. And that's just your normal without recognizing that you probably are a little bit chronically sleep deprived. Which makes us vulnerable. It does. To sickness and, and disease. I wanted to go back to what you were saying about sleeping for four hours, getting up, tending yeah. to the fire, and then going back to sleep for the second sleep. My bed partner is a four hour sleeper. He is that man. He, he is. Yes. It gets dark. He's drooling on himself. He's out like a light. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets up in the middle of the night. He's an architect, so he might work for two or three hours. And then he goes back to bed for four hours. And he's, and he's fine with those two oh. four hour sessions. Well, because he's getting his eight hours and yeah. 24 hours, right? Me, I'd be wreckage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot about it, right? There's sleep duration, there's sleep timing. Um, and and we all don't fit the same mold. You know, some people can get by with four hours of sleep. As it turns out that there are these clock genes and some people can get by and they're completely fine with four hours. And that's just sort of their genetic thing. And I mean, we're, we're all jealous. Oh, we're, <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's not me either. <laughs> what about like... The, uh, the phrase that I call it are the watchmen, you know, the people that have the absolute reverse circadian rhythm, right? That they're the ones that are happy to be up at night, you know, on alert, and then they need their sleep. They get the eight hours, but they get it in reverse. Mm -hmm. If it works for them, it works for them. There it is. You know, a, lot, a lot of our night shift workers are like that. However, there's also this caveat, right? That, you know, they, they have talked about shift work as being a carcinogen, we yes. know that in nurses, right, who work yes. nights, they have a higher incidence of breast cancer. So there's a little caveat. If you're genuinely that nocturnal person, right, where you are much more alert, you're always alert, you drag during the day, this has been your pattern forever, that might be one thing. I don't think that's a majority of night shift workers. No. I think they're stuck <laughs> doing that shift for whatever reason. Um, and so there's definitely that distinction. 
Yes. Those people are few and far between, the ones right. whose, whose body clocks are completely reversed. But they are very interesting people, right? That they just, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't want to come calling on them in the middle of the day because they're out resting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Albert Einstein was a night owl. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, really brilliant people that were night owls. Now, not necessarily reverse, like you're describing, the watchman, but... Um, but yeah, I think there's more data showing us that if we can align our work schedules around our circadian rhythm, that we probably will be more productive. And that's what a lot of us have discovered during the pandemic. You know, that slight tweaking of the circadian rhythms and being able to kind of go a little bit closer to our normal body clocks has been helpful to a lot of us. I know I've gotten more sleep and that's been a good thing. I'm working harder than I've ever worked, but I'm getting more sleep. <laughs> Well, did you have a, a long commute before? Um, no, I'm, I, no, I, I did not. It's just that, you know, m mental health, there's been a greater need in the last two years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. My, my office is maybe 15 minutes away now. We, we actually downsized during COVID. And so our office moved closer to where I am. But I find myself resenting that half hour I spend commuting now because it's 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 time that I normally am very productive when I'm at home. And it's so funny yeah. how our mindset has shifted. Yeah, definitely. We are out of time. I wanted to give a plug to your podcast, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, AASM podcast, Talking Sleep. My guest today, Dr. Seema Khalsa, is the host of that show. And she's also the medical director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep and a whole host of other pretty fabulous qualifications. Come and hang out anytime. Let's talk more about sleep and rest and health and goodness and funny stories. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm looking forward to reading your book. Oh, I'm, I'm going to send it to you. Um, to learn more about Dr. Seema, please go to FargoSleepDoc.com and MedBridgeHealthcare.com. You can find Dr. Seema on Twitter at SleepDoc. Thanks, Dr. Kulsa. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Let's take that quick respite. We'll be right back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. Welcome back. We're talking about what it means to get rested, how to get solid sleep for health and well-being. My next guest is Julie Wright. She's the author of The Natural Sleeper, a bedside guide to complementary and alternative solutions for better sleep. Julie Wright is a sleep ambassador and speaker. She is the founder of We Sleep, a well-being provider focused on sleep, webinars, workshops, lectures, and discussion panels, and therapeutic sessions designed around the topic of sleep deprivation and insomnia. She offers her work to a variety of organizations and business clients around the globe, and she's with us in the house today to talk about how to become more rested. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me today. I'm really pleased to be here to talk about sleep, which is one of my passion projects. Yes, let's talk about how you came to start an organization focused on giving us better sleep, providing resources for better sleep, and writing the book, The Natural Sleeper. 
yeah, it was very much of a natural, you know, progression, I guess is the right word. It started from me being an insomniac. And, you know, one person out of three suffers from insomnia in the U.S. as it is in the U.K. So it's very much of a worldwide problem. So it started with me with a breakup, uh, which made me really sad and also problems at work. And I sort of never was able to shake off uh, terrible sleep patterns. And it took me a long time to actually look at what the issue was and how I could resolve it. Um, I'd say I didn't actually look into it until maybe another seven or eight years after it started. So, you know, when you said earlier, a lot of us don't even know if we're sleeping sufficiently. I can totally relate to that because I let it linger on. And later on, I just decided to start uh, exploring options, especially natural options, because I've tried sleeping pills and they had a terrible effect on me and they actually made it worse. And I felt terrible the next day. And some of them even made me feel anxious. So it was completely not desired effects. So um, I started basically exploring natural options and I've done a ton of different therapies and a, a lot of different natural options to sleep better. And eventually I decided to start a business to help others because it was, I, I felt, if you will, the such a great impact on my own life, on my happiness, on my performance, whether it be at work or my relationship with people. Uh, I really thought I should share the gift with others, which is why I did the business and also why I wrote the book. In your prior career or your other businesses, talk a little bit about the kind of work that you did. Yes, it was completely unrelated. So I worked in media and entertainment. Um, so my background uh, is in the music, film and TV industry, uh, working as a, a business executive, essentially. And, you know, in, uh, in our industry, as it, as it is in many other industries, a lot of people struggle from sleep issues. So I was sort of talking to colleagues and getting some information that way. But also I started researching the topic on my own. And also surrounded myself with mentors in the sleep science and sleep academics. Uh, and then I started organizing workshops and talks uh, and also webinars. And um, all this learning that I gathered, both through personal experience, but also working with uh, scientific academics, was really helpful for me. And I wanted to gather all of that knowledge in a, in a guide, which I wanted to be simple, quite practical, for people to explore. And also because one solution is not the same for everyone because we're all different. Um, I wanted to have a comprehensive list of ideas that people could explore, you know, and follow their intuition, see what intrigues them, understand how, who they are and what would work for them or what might be worth exploring, if you will. So my guide is very much a journey of discovery. And really, I want people to try and explore and find solutions that might work for them based on preferences and personalities and prior experiences and, you know, things that might pique their interest somehow. For me, I, I really appreciate the, the work that you have put into this book in giving us an easy to understand guide. I have a personal interest in the relationship between being uh, well rested and mental health. And, and the science really does say mm -hmm. that, you know, oversleeping can be a sign of depression. Undersleeping can be a sign of depression. And when we get that right amount, that sweet spot of sleep, we contribute not only to our physical well-being, but to our mental well-being. Absolutely. There's definitely a tremendous link between 
uh, sleep, anxiety and depression and either other forms of mental health. And this is why uh, a lot of psychologists now are specializing in sleep. In particular, there's a, a therapy called CBTI, so CBT for insomnia, which is different from traditional CBT, which specific, specifically addresses sleep and how to improve chronic insomnia issues. And, you know, you were saying uh, in terms of the correlation between sleep and depression, well, you're three to five times more likely to be depressed if you don't sleep sufficiently and up to 17 times more likely to feel anxious with a lack of sleep. And that's because a lack of sleep is going to create a lot of stress in you and will fragment your sleep and make it very disrupted. And therefore, it's it's important to manage your sleep. But the one thing I'd add is that if the issue is depression or anxiety because of something else, not necessarily because you're not sleeping sufficiently, and as a result, your sleep is impacted, what you need to do is address your your anxiety or your depression problem with a therapist and eventually your sleep will come back, you know, because uh, some people think that it's just about the sleep, but there might be underlying issues that you need to address. Indeed. And thank you for bringing that up. It's really important. And the other part of good sleep is, you know, I like to call it sleep foreplay. Everything that we're doing during the day actually sets us up for good sleep or the lack thereof. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I, I call it the sleep ritual. And, you know, ritual can have different connotations. But for me, it really is very much about more than a routine. It's something and it, it's me time. It's something you do for yourself. And it's really something that you should start a couple of hours before bedtime, not in the five minutes before bedtime and really taking time for yourself to draw the line under the day, reflect on your day, perhaps write your gratitude uh, perhaps uh, also spend time worrying. It's actually not a bad psychological technique to think about your worries consciously before you go to bed so that your mind and your brain doesn't continue processing worries while you are asleep. And as a result, you, you might feel more peaceful. You might do things like perhaps taking a warm bath or, you know, start dimming down the lights, start turning down the volume, stop looking at your social media feeds, anything that would create, <laughs> I hear you laughing. It's very hard, right? Like the last thing you want to do is look at your phone and at your social media feed while you're still in bed. It's a terrible idea, you know? There's only two things you should be doing in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and you know them. I'd love to. Everybody knows I want to hear. Yes. So sleep and intimacy are the only things that you should do. Obviously, that is if you're a terrible sleeper. If you're a good sleeper and, you know, if you can do your social media or whatever you do and you still sleep fine, you know, I'm not going to recommend that you change your habits as a result. But if you if you struggle from sleep issues, you really need to consider all of this, you know, and create a very sleep-inducing uh, bed bedroom environment as well. So totally dark, cool, so, you know, sort of not too hot, not too cold, and definitely cooler than whatever it is in the daytime. That's important. I think you're in California, so something for you to think about, you know, when it gets hot. 
Um, and also making sure it's totally quiet. And when I say quiet, it should be under 30 decibels. 30 decibels is the level of someone whispering. So lower than that, you know, and any source of light should be turned off. So no light at all, absolutely pitch black. And you need to think about ancestral times where people, well, when I say people, humans, humans used to sleep in caves, which were entirely black and cool. uh, blacked out, you know, <laughs> and cool. Exactly. So somehow, perhaps one theory is that, you know, we, we've sort of carried this through the generations and the, the needs for a cool and dark and quiet environment is the best environment for us to sleep. I want to talk a little bit about the ritual because you talk about building your cocoon and meditation, not meditation, but meditation. And I'd love for you to elaborate on that for our listeners, because these are key components to the, the setup for good rest. I agree. Yes. I didn't come up with the term meditation, although I absolutely love it. I should really give credit to the writer who wrote the book, The Lazy Guru, which uh, introduced the term meditation, which was really more about being lazy in the morning and having a moment of mindlessness in the morning while you're still in bed. But I've sort of reused that term in a different way. So my book, Meditation, is about everything that you can do while you are in bed to help you fall asleep. Uh, more easily. So things like practicing yoga nidra poses and perhaps meditation, progressive muscular re relaxation. So that's progressive muscular relaxation, which basically goes from the top of your head to your toes and contracting and releasing different parts of your body one by one. Also, breathwork techniques uh, work very well while you're in bed as well. So in the meditation practices and, and, and other ideas as well. So it's what you can do if you are in bed and you can't fall asleep or you wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, you can't fall back asleep. Got it. Uh, this, this is great. And the progressive muscle relaxation is a really, really good tool because it also brings you into your body fully, you know. And you can feel, hopefully you begin to feel the fatigue in your body, allowing that wave to overtake yes. you and lull you to sleep. Have you tried it before? It sounds like you're speaking from experience. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. I, I have tried it before. I, I am fascinated by all of these topics. And in fact, we have a book coming out, or I have a book coming out on, on the relationship, as I mentioned, between sleep and mental health and overall wellness including, mm -hmm. you know, getting enough rest, having enough play during the day. Because, you know, in my view and experience with, with clients mm -hmm. too, the more we can do during the day, the more we can exhaust our bodies and our minds in a positive way, you know, not, not distress, but good stress, the use stress of, of propelling ourselves forward, the easier sleep will come in the night or the day, depending upon, you know, what your, what your circadian rhythm is. We're going to need to take a break to learn more about the work of Julie Wright and her book, The Natural Sleeper, a bedside guide to complementary and alternative solutions for better sleep. Please visit wesleep.co.uk. Once again, that's wesleep.co.uk on Twitter at wesleepuk and on Facebook and Instagram, wesleepuk. Okay. I love this subject. And Julie's got some more tips, other remedies that we can use to help us get better rest. Here comes that break. We'll be right back. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight keys to unlocking a joyful life. 
A boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more. Welcome back. Let's get back to the conversation with my guest, Julie Wright. We're talking about how to get rested, solid sleep for health and well-being. Let's talk a little bit about feeding your sleep, what you feed your body and how it impacts sleep. Yes. Um, I mean, nutrition is essential and that won't be a surprise to anyone. Pretty much the general rule is if you eat healthily, it should be fine, you know. So, but there are certain things you need to pay attention to. For example, the time at which you eat. Uh, so, not eating too much, too close to bedtime, and also managing your blood sugar imbalances. And this is particularly relevant right now because a lot of people are doing intermittent fasting. It's quite the trend in terms of diets, which is fine because actually it's been proven scientifically that it can help with sleep. But you need to eat sufficient, uh, sufficient amount of food and sufficient calories when you eat because otherwise you'll you'll create a blood sugar drop which will increase your cortisol which will be disrupting your sleep ultimately so really about having an, a healthy diet and i usually recommend three meals and two snacks per day but if you intermittent fast then fine uh, but just make sure you eat sufficient amount of calories the other thing about nutrition is obviously the idea that about 90 to 95 percent of your serotonin is produced in your gut, you know, and serotonin is the, the neurotransmitter which helps produce melatonin. And melatonin is your sleep hormone, which will not only make you fall asleep, but also keep you asleep throughout the night. So it's important to eat uh, foods that are rich in tryptophan in particular. So things like, for example, green vegetables and certain meats and fish and nuts in the book, there's a specific list, so I might refer people to the book to, to you know, get the entire list or even Google it. You'll find it pretty easily. Yeah. And basically also making sure that you hydrate a lot during the day, but not too close to bedtime. I have many clients or, you know, webinar participants who wonder why they wake up in the middle of the night because they have to go to the toilet. And that's such a simple thing to do. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you might start worrying about things and struggle to fall back asleep. So you should probably stop any liquids about an hour and a half to two hours before bedtime as well. I want to move on to something that I find very exciting, and this is the use of complementary and alternative therapies and healing plants and their role in supporting good rest and sleep. Yes, I mean, I think herbalism is uh, it's got to be one of the most ancient forms of uh, medicine and, you know, has such therapeutic properties. And unfortunately, uh, scientists don't necessarily support all of it. You know, the only the only plant that is sort of scientifically validated is valerian. 
And so now it's sort of widely acknowledged that this is a plant that has sedative properties and can help you sleep better. But actually, if you start digging into more uh, Eastern medicines, like perhaps Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine, or even just dealing with a, a herbalist, uh, you'll find out that actually many other plants can can help you sleep. Uh, my favorites and the ones that I used, and so I use them in the form of tincture myself. So that's basically extracting in a liquid form. With, there's a bit of alcohol in it. It's a very tiny amount. And so you have it as drops, if you will. So that's my favorite way of, of consuming these plants, uh, like passiflora, skullcap. Oats can be useful as well for better sleep. Valerian, as I mentioned, and hops uh, are the ones that I usually recommend. And, I, you know, what I what I say in the book and what I'll recommend to your listeners is to consult with a professional herbalist who can walk you through what's most adapted to you. And also be mindful that if you have any medical condition, you should really check with your doctor that it's OK for you to take certain plants. I love the disclaimer. Super important because we don't know we don't know what the listeners are taking. And if you're taking medication for sleep, you don't want it to interact in a bad in a negative way with some of these other preparations. So it really is important to let your medical practitioner guide you in the process. What about taking over the counter old fashioned melatonin lozenges, for example? Yes, well. So melatonin, it's interesting because it's sort of available over the counter in the U.S., but in the U.K., you need a prescription to have access to melatonin. And oh, so, wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, in, and in France as well, So which is, which is where I grew up. So it's interesting, right? So it depends. Different countries deal with this in different ways. So there is a debate about melatonin. The view is that it helps in certain uh, circumstances, for example, to deal with jet lag or with circadian rhythm disorders. It can be helpful also for the for the elderly patients as well. Uh, and it seems to help. But it, it, it sounds like from the studies that have been made that it doesn't necessarily last, you know, it, it, it sounds like the effects, if you will, might not be as potent with time. So that's just something to be mindful of. You mean, uh, but wait, let me just clarify what you're saying is if somebody who's consuming melatonin for long periods of time, the efficacy can be reduced over the long haul. Is that what you you're said saying? it in such a better way than I have. <laughs> no, yes, but, thank you very much. No, no, I just was <laughs> wanting to clarify or if it meant that um, the use of melatonin, let's say you put, you take it at 10 o'clock at night, that it may, there may not be enough to sustain a full night's sleep. So that's why I was wanting to, to, to clarify because, because insomnia, there, there are several forms, right? Those who sure. can't fall asleep easily versus those who can. Those who get up in the middle of the night and then can't go back to sleep, and then those early risers that habitually get up at four or five in the morning and they can't go back to sleep. It's over. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about uh, some of the healing plants. Let's get into the aromatherapy. Let's get into how smells and essential oils can impact our mindset and the body's responses. I'm glad you bring this up because aromatherapy is one of my favorite uh, solutions, natural solutions for good sleep. In fact, um, I make my own pillow sprays, you know, just drop putting some drops of essential oils in in little spray bottles with water and just smelling them uh, make me feel so serene and peaceful before I go to bed. So my favorite mix is and that's a personal choice, really, is Roman chamomile 
mixed with uh, neroli, and I put about five drops of each. Uh, but there are other essential oils which are really effective at calming, um, you know, reducing anxiety, uh, and even helping uh, making you feel so relaxed that you can fall asleep. So obviously the popular one is lavender, mm -hmm. that you won't be surprised about that because that's a very popular one. But other ones like ylang ylang seems to work for a lot of people, frankincense, geranium, sweet marjoram, and, you know, there, and there are more. So in the book, you can you can see the a pretty comprehensive list of the, the different uh, essential oils helpful for sleep. But what I recommend is, again, to consult with a, a professional aromatherapist and work out the best combination of oils for you. You know, it's a very personal yes. choice. It's a very personal experience. I, I want to circle back to where we started the conversation talking about ritual, because, you know, all of the different things that you've suggested, all the different kinds of complementary and alternative therapies, the plants, the aromatherapies, the idea that it's trial and error and figuring out the best procession from day to, to sleep is trial and error, right? It's not a one size fits all. I'm really glad you bring this up. I mean, I, I talk about in this way, in such a way in my book, which is it's very much a, a personal journey of discovery and experimentation because no solution will work for everyone. Yeah. And in fact, one solution might work one night, but it may not work another night, you know, and for myself, I've gathered uh, and, and a lot of it is in the book, but I wrote the book specifically so that people can go on their own personal journey of discovery and experimentation and exploring options that might work for them. Because I believe that one solution, and it's not just that I believe, one solution does not work for everyone, right? What, what can work for one person may not work for another person. And in fact, what can work one night may not work the next night, unfortunately. And so for myself, um, I've gathered uh, a sort of a a bag of tricks with all the different things that work for me. And I try to analyze and understand what's wrong with me tonight. Why am I not sleeping properly? And then I adapt and choose the solution that might be perfect for the, the particular situation that uh, I'm going through at the moment, you know, so it's, it's very much uh, not a one size fits all. And it's very much about having a range of options and understanding all the factors that can play into insomnia. And believe me, it's a very complex topic. Sleep is a very complex mechanic yeah. and process that takes place on a daily basis for yourself. So there could be many reasons why you're not sleeping. Just to finish on that, so in the book, I, I do list uh, you know the reasons why you might not be sleeping and what might be worth thinking about. So there's a list of questions and you can ask yourself these questions and also understand the different uh, therapies and solutions and tips and pick and choose what you think might work for you and then start implementing them. It's, it's pretty easy once, once you've once you've read the book, at least. <laughs> well, and you've empowered us with tools. I think this is a fantastic toolkit to get someone thinking about ways they can take back their sleep, right? And the and the approach of this as a bit of a, a scientist and an, and an explorer, right? To have a little bit of curiosity about will this work or will that work, I think begins to take some of the stress and panic out of not getting sleep because that only makes the insomnia worse. 
You're absolutely right. In fact, studies have shown that the more pressure you put on sleep, the less likely <laughs> you are uh, going to be able to sleep. Uh, it's to, it's sort of some sort of reverse psychology. So it's very important to accept that perhaps right now you're not sleeping, but that eventually sleep will come yes. because none of us can stay awake forever. Eventually, you will fall asleep and you need to trust that the process will happen. And if you enable you know, the use of uh, these therapies or relaxation techniques, whether it's relaxing the mind or relaxing the body or using aids, uh, natural aids or other tools, like as I'm suggesting in the book, you'll see that it'd be easier for you to fall back asleep. But you trust that you will fall asleep. Nobody can stay awake. I'm trying to remember what was the record or something like maybe a few days. And even then, like you just become completely crazy from not sleeping. Literally. So eventually you will fall asleep. Literally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you for this book. I urge our listeners to, if you have sleep challenges or know of someone who does, guide their attention to this book, The Natural Sleeper, a bedside guide to complementary and alternative solutions for better sleep. My guest today, I want to thank you, Julie Wright, for being with us, for writing this book. And direct your attention to learn more at www.wesleep.co.uk, on Twitter at WeSleepUK, and on Facebook, WeSleepUK, as well as Instagram, WeSleepUK. Consistent. That's where you'll find Julie Wright. Thank you, Julie. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to have a discussion about sleep. Me too. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guests, Dr. Seema Khalsa and Julie Wright, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. <laughs>